Welcome to the Artelligence Podcast. I'm Marion Manneker, and we're going to explore the mysteries of the global art market. Scott Rayburn of the International New York Times came away from the London sales with a very specific point of view, not just of the sales cycle, but the overall market. Scott's going to share that with us today, and then we're going to discuss a number of other things. Inevitably, with with um, the contemporary market, people have been using the word bubble for a long, long time. And um, it's a sort of throwback, I think, perhaps to uh, the, the 80s and so on. It's a, a basic sort of word that crops up when prices are rising. Um, it's it's really interesting the market at the moment in terms of what appears to be its sort of unstoppable momentum. Um, now there were it, it was more complex than that where there were some artists that, that didn't perform that well and so on, um, and there were areas that were a little softer. But uh, I think people have taken quite taken aback given that it wasn't exactly a five star selection of material. Uh, the depth of demand for the the works that were came up for auction which in a sense for me was a continuation of what we saw the previous week with the resurgence of demand in Impressionist modern art. And what for me seems to be happening is that, okay, in the area of younger artists, we're seeing some selectivity. But if you think about 20th century art and include late, late Impressionism, modernism, and classic contemporary, that sector for the right names, for many names, is incredibly strong. Well, I, I'm so glad to hear you say that because, you know, I was struck by the lead on your piece talking about a, a, a bubble, and I, I thought to myself, wow, uh, it seems to me the exact opposite is happening. Mm. First and foremost, as you just po- pointed out, that this is a cycle where Impressionist and modern totals uh, outstrip contemporary to- totals, which I haven't look back at the numbers, but certainly feels like it's been a long time since that happened. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's a very crude measure, but what surprised me also is for the first time, there were more telephone bidders ranged at the imps and mod sales than the contemporary sales. Now, obviously, I'm just counting with my eyes and on my, on my fingers, but I was. Uh, it was quite remarkable the the, the number of uh, Sotheby's and Christie's staff members who were taking calls. Now, a, a, a contemporary advisor points out to me, ah, well, the thing, the thing is that they're really only representing one or two people, but a major advisor in a contemporary sale is representing, say, as many as five, seven, seven collectors. So you know, it, it's a very, very crude measure. But it was worth it's worth it was worth observing that the the numbers of, of the international demand was clearly visible through increased numbers of telephone bidders at imps and mods, which underpinned in a in a in a connected way the success of the contemporary sales the following week. I think. Well, that I think that's exactly. Exactly right. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but the um, surrealism sale at Sotheby's was conducted to, to what seemed like a totally empty room, save the telephones. And still, it wasn't a spectacular sale, but it was still a very effective um, and successful sale for them. And I guess that's a measure of the, the auction houses have put a lot of effort into marketing works, especially to Asia. And yeah, it seems but, that London is the real beneficiary of that, or at least in absolutely. this cycle, visibility. 
Yes, and I, I spoke to, um, it took a while, but I, I finally got the, the regional breakdowns of uh, buyers at the contemporary sales. Now, often these can be sort of fairly meaningless, and of course, a lot of the buyers have five homes, so it's difficult to pin down where exactly um, they, they are. But um, the percentage of Christie's, I gather, was about 30% Asia and, and Middle East. Now, again, we don't know the, 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 the split between the two, but the former auction house um, specialist that that's very, very high. And uh, certainly at Christie's um, contemporary sale, 25% of the bidding, now this isn't uh, sales, but 25% of the bidding came from Asia, which is, which is really remarkable. Yes, I, whether they're successful or not, they're in the game. Yeah. Uh, and and again, I think this is, I suppose we might be giving them too much credit, but they've been on such a campaign and they clearly have brought in uh, Asian buyers into categories that were never considered places where Asian buyers would uh, appear, surrealism being one of them. Yeah. A lot of this contemporary art be beyond Warhol. You know, it's one thing for them to buy Warhols, uh, uh, you know, as as many Asian buyers uh, have for years, it's yeah. another thing for them to be bidding on, you know, Fontana's or or uh, you know uh, more European art that's less brand name. I mean, the the Richter market has had a number of uh, has been very global, especially for the abstracts for a number of years. But it certainly feels like they've they you know we've been talking about this for year but years about the globalization of the market. Market, but it feels like it's really coming home this uh, year. And and I guess that's to go back to that bubble issue. What I've noticed again, without looking in detail, is the numbers are strong, but not exceeding where they were in, in contemporary, not exceeding where they were uh, two years ago. So we we we've had a market that that peaked and then has come down, you know, five ten percent. Uh, at least in totals, but not um, come down dramatically. And that suggests a, a, a market that's consolidating at this le level, especially when you look at the composition of the works. These, as you said, there are not a lot of superstar works in, in this cycle of sales, and yet these are very strong numbers. Yes, I, 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 absolutely. I just, you know, when you were talking about the notion of the bubble, I, the, the, the image that come, comes to my mind with the, perhaps with the con contemporary market is it's, it's like the, the top of a glass of champagne. There are thousands of bubbles, and some of them are just dying and dropping away. Um, the, 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 the froth is there all the time, but the, bubble, the, the individual bubbles change. So with, particularly with, with some of the hotter, younger artists, we, we were seeing that this week. There were, I suppose it's too far to, to, to say correction, but certainly there was a dampening of demand for artists who in the cat who have been regarded in the category of say sort of flip art or the the, the regulars you see at art fairs it was noticeable for with uh, Christopher Wool for example you see all over the art fairs they were getting away but generally on the low estimate uh, there was a, a, a sterling ruby bi it, it wasn't really a very attractive painting but you know Two years ago, you couldn't imagine that that painting um, be eyeing. And then, of course, at Phillips, which was which was fascinating, the sale. When you look at the statistics, and actually in terms of mood, w was a success. Uh, a real turning point for them. Absolutely, you know, that's yeah. Because in 2014, it was it was uh, 
10.4 million, and they're up to 17.7, which is which is really impressive leap, isn't it? We've sat through many many Phillips sales hmm. where the estimates were too aspirational uh, sure. by far, and and here the bulk of the work sold within their a- a- estimates, which for them yeah. has been a big achievement. Apart from the yeah, and the, the the Mark Bradford really really flew, but I think everyone knew that was going to fly because um, <laughs> that's so difficult to obtain. You, you talked about the sort of the the names, and you know we've got a, a lot of focus on uh, how you know young artists can get mm-hmm. overblown, especially at auction, and uh, and that's in part because no one ever wants to see a price go down mm-hmm. uh, or a name uh, go out of favor. But if mm-hmm. you look at other markets. That's what happens all the time, whether it's a stock or a commodity mm. or, you know, any other financial instrument. They go in and out of favor. Prices go up and down. And, in fact, yeah. the lowering price attracts people into to them. Yeah. And so I thought uh, throughout this uh, these three sales, what was interesting is that you saw demand for different artists. You saw demand at lower levels and bidding at lower levels, not at the top level. Yeah. And so the the you know for many years after the cra- uh, crash we were in, in as um, Tobias uh, Meyer used to like to say a masterpiece market, uh, yeah. and now now it seems like we are officially not in a masterpiece mo- market. No, that, 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 that's a that's a very interesting point because in in a way, what people want is the typical and the iconic. Um, they want an instantly recognizable example of a brand name artist. Um, I think, that, for example, at, at uh, Sotheby's, there was a, um, a Klein um, uh, IKB monochrome. The blue one. Yeah, blue mare, the blue monochrome. Now, um, it made what was it, six point one million, um, and people really were saying, "Well, wow, that was a prize." But it was it was interesting because it was an absolutely. Now, there may have been a lot of nuances to that particular work which I'm not aware of but what struck me was it was part of a trend for for buyers to just be looking for good typical examples of of great uh, museum proven artists um the fontana was slightly different because that was a rather quirky example but that that klein people say wow that is a price in a sense for typical work but i think in a sense that also typified the market at the moment you know, there was another blue monochrome, I think, in that same sale. And mm. I, I presume uh, I didn't look closely, but I presume it was just much smaller, or there was, you know, something about the the texture of it that yeah. sold fine, but at a much lower level. Which, again, I think sort of proves your point is that there there's demand even for the less spectacular works. And I think looking at some of the artists that 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 sold well beyond Fontana, this sort of rage for the Castellanis and Bonalumi and the, those kinds of wor- works continues, even when these aren't necessarily the greatest examples. Exactly. And then you get that uh, sketchy, which uh, just you know lit the world up, sold for over a million pounds. Yeah. That had many bidders and and there have been a number of sketches getting bid bid up uh, uh over the last uh year or two sure, this sure. was a whole new um level and you know we've had we've had uh, uh we had that great zero sale at Sotheby's several years ago mm-hmm. then we had the the Guggenheim 
in, is in the middle of a, a big zero retrospective. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it, it's almost the other way around. When you look at those sketches now, you think, why has it taken so long? I know. I, I, the, the one thing I, I, I slightly hesitate with looking at Skeggy and, and that whole Italian market is the the issues of what's going on in the Italian uh, economy, which is so, so difficult. And, of course, the great rule where the, um, it's the 50-year rule, isn't it, where it's going to be uh, very, very difficult, um, uh, the market for works that are over 50 years old. Essentially, because they they they're um, subject to export. Yeah, exactly. Um, that complicates that market, uh, and there's some very very interesting things going on. Which, uh, to be honest, I'm, I I haven't sort of delved into fully yet. But I think that makes that particular market really interesting because of course the le- because of the legislation uh, and its effect on the market, and also what's happening with the Italian economy. Um, just moving on, I, I, the other fascinating one, of course. Um, was the Hearst result um, for Lullaby Winter, which... Um, well, t- tell me about it. it, it you know, I, looked at the, I looked at the piece with, 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 with Francis Utrid. It, 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 you know, just anecdotally, it's interesting. It took 48 hours for a team of four people working around the clock to install that piece. There are 7,000 handmade uh, pills sold back in um, 2007 wasn't it for around seven and it hadn't been paid for by the buyers it was owned by Christie's which which is what not what you want with the provenance of a work of art and yet in many ways it's it's a tremendous piece by Hearst and it's part of a great quartet here it comes back onto the market you look at Artnet and really his his since the crash since the beautiful sale, his his auction market has been disproportionately flat, and this was the moment one might have thought where people said, "Ah, we've really you know forgotten about Hearst. We've really undervalued him. This is a tremendous piece." Okay, there's some problems with the, the provenance, but look at this work of art. It's 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 very representative. It's a very it has trophy qualities to it. And yet there was just what, two bidders before it it was knocked down at just below well just on the, on the low estimate for Hamas it was three thousand with premium and what sort of I wonder what sort of signal that sends out to owners and dealers and auctioneers about the Hearst market if that ever work like that just goes flat it sent out a I thought a a, a pretty interesting signal what what was your sense of, well, of that well, there, there's a couple of things to say about about that. The first one is you're absolutely right. It's not just a part of an important series. If value is determined in multiples by where the other works are, mm. the fact that Lullaby Spring was purchased for uh, $20 million. Now, there's a currency uh, issue with that uh, valuation, but, but purchased for, for a substantially higher amount. Uh, one presumes on the assumption of the, this that this sale had actually taken place, mm. but the fact that that is that is owned by the uh, Altanis mm. should make the winter a valuable piece because its yeah. companion is in a very prestigious yeah, uh, yeah. collection. Yeah. It also raises the question: Where are Hearst's um, dealers? 
in supporting that market. That yeah, either- that's a really good. Um, Jotling was <laughs> sitting right in front of me and was just looking at his catalog. <laughs> well, I guess that that tells you a lot about what's happened, and and I suppose also I, I agree with you. The the those pill cabinets are some of his best works. Yeah. Uh, especially when you see them in 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 person. Yeah. Uh, you know they they're somewhat devalued by the fact that he's made uh, so many derivative versions of you know the long ones, the diamond ones, the Absolutely. cigarette ones, and so. On and you know in that sense Hearst is always his own worst enemy. Yeah. But I, no, no. I also wanted to say uh, uh, there's an interesting thing in the day sale. I want to say at Christie's there was a um, spot painting that did quite well. Right. Okay. Okay. What was uh, what, what was the price? Oh, now now you're going to make me go. Look, oh, no, look no, it no, up. no, no, that, that's fine. That's fine. I, 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 for what it's worth, I, I thought the Lullaby Winter was the was the bargain of the week. Actually, I thought I thought it was a tremendous work of art. I thought it was I thought it was very cheap. Yes, I think. Uh, I think this is one of the problems with Hearst. You know, like the spots when they did that worldwide uh, show. And yeah. unfortunately, it actually revealed the weaknesses of the spots rather than mm. the strengths because we yeah. saw a lot of paintings that weren't great. Mm. Um, you know, Hearst has this tendency to m- muck it up. But yeah. when you see his really good work, it's extraordinary. Uh, uh, to go back to the price, the, um, the spot painting sold for 542,000 uh, pounds right, over okay. a 350,000 pound high estimate. So yeah. that's not the million dollars spot paintings were selling for, you know, at the height of uh, things, but that's still three quarters of a million dollars. That's a, a, a reasonably strong price. And it's a good one. It's, you know, it's fairly large and, uh, you know, it's fairly straightforward, um, you know, in its uh, sizes and uh, and colors. So, I mean, it, it, it I think... You know, it'll be interesting over t- t- time where the Hearst market goes. He's certainly a crowd pleaser. You know, they showed that during the Olympics. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think I think what will happen, perhaps what will happen with Hearst is, I and I was aware of this, again, looking at the two weeks rather than the week, uh, and I was talking to dealers, and I think there's a, a renewed sense of rarity value in the market, which is driving quite a few of the prices. Um, I think uh, I think in the past, over the last ten years, people were reassured that an artist was producing quite a lot of work, um, and people were reassured that, for example, if it was an artist produced a work in a series of six, you know, they could at an artist dinner they could sit next to each other and say, "Well, I've got the green one and I've got the blue one," and so on. But actually, I think now. Particularly, uh, I think it may well be related to the, the the wider sense of economic uncertainty. I think there's a, a sense of, of a little bit of a sense of conservatism coming into collecting now, and I think people are concentrating more on rarity. And I think actually this could kick in with the Hearst market over the next five years, that, that people realise focus on the rarer, really innovative early works, and they could come back. Um, as for the, the, the mass-produced later material, that could perhaps just drop and drop off in terms of, of, of price. Uh, but the, I, I think 
an appreciation of rarity values is, I think, something to watch in the market now. Uh, it's much more discriminatory. Much, it's, it's much more intelligent, I think. Well, again, you know, that, that it's intelligent, but also at this volume level really does suggest that all the, thing, the, all the kind of marketing nonsense we've heard and somewhat repeated uh, over the last few years has come true. There are just a lot more people, um, uh, you know, collectors in the market, and they're yeah. not patsies. No, 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 absolutely. That, 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 uh, I won't say all of them are well advised because some of them are incredibly badly advised, but um, a lot of them are well advised. And, and there, there is a, a, a larger point to, to make, um, which, we, which we've talked about before, is that you know, I, just, I was just before the interview, I was just looking, like, working out how many people there are capable of, of being in the market. And um, there are 200,000 people with at least $30 million cash. Uh, that was yep. in 1913. And I haven't seen 19, uh, no, sorry, 2013. 2014, I'm sure it'll be up. They'll probably be about 220-something like that. So all of those, two, so that's what, 220,000 people can drop a million dollars a year, essentially, a 20th. Um, so it, it really only takes a very, very small percentage of that, that, that um, two football stadiums of, of uh, millionaires to, to make a difference, to run an art market. And the other thing, of course, is that, that these people are buying so little else in the, in the art market. You know, they're buying, not many of them buying old masters, even fewer 18th century furniture. It's so concentrated on the 20th century. So when you think of, 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 of notions of bubble, I don't think it really applies anymore because even if some of these people lose their money, um, and most of them are making a lot more money, uh, there's always going to be a core group, a core aggregate mass of people who will be able to run this market. And I, I can't see, barring a, a major political or economic catastrophe, the momentum being stopped at all. I, I don't know what you feel. There's always a bubble in the art market in the sense that there's, there's nothing that it can be returned to and used. You know, oil you can trade as all sorts of things, but eventually yeah. it gets refined and turned into a product that yeah. there's demand yeah. for. There's always a danger w with anything to do with art that it will go out of fashion, and we've seen many major ar artists for hundreds of years uh, disappear in, in, in value. But mm. that said, I think exactly the logic you laid out is exactly right, mm. that there are so many people that they do have the assets and that the art is now firmly established mm. as a, a form of cultural membership that yeah. is important to these people. And it's gone from being an esoteric hobby to becoming uh, uh, something you you uh, have to participate in to be considered yeah. a member of that uh, ultra high net worth uh, uh, club. And, mm. and to, to be a member, you have to buy a certain amount of art every year just to That's be able right. to go to the art fairs right. and have uh, the right conversations on, on your boat uh, or, you know, on your plane. Uh, and that just seems to be the, the way it is. And in that sense, yes, it would seem odd to describe it as uh, a, a bubble. Within that, though, there's always going to be a lot of rotation uh, yeah, of artists. And I, yeah. and I think what's interesting is we've seen almost no Warhols this uh, go round, and he's pretty much drove the contemporary market. And I think that's, again, a great sign.
if we can have strong numbers mm. without major warhols being present, mm. really even without, you know, a strong, strong Richter market, except for that very big one and the, um, you know, the uh, uh, landscape pa- painting, which were admittedly two very big prices and a substantial sure. portion of the, the sales. The rest of them uh, sort of show that the, abs- the, the frenzy for buying abstracts uh, is somewhat over. Uh, I think, again, those are all good signs. It, it means that the market can uh, survive without being dependent on a few tentpole artists. Uh, and yet, and it, 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 it's a sort of drop from it, but it, it, it all, these auctions, they, they always need a trophy or two to just create um, a focus, don't they? Mostly the auctions are about a couple of big uh, pieces, and it, uh, the problem with the success of contemporary is they've gotten overrun with so many big pieces mm. that it seemed, you know, too much to put in any single uh, uh, sale. But y- your comment about those two football stadiums um, made me think really about the way they're conducting the auctions. Mm. Uh, I noticed that, uh, especially in the contemporary sales, uh, two of the auctioneers were being introduced you know, like like performers or singers. You know, no, that, that, yes, I noticed that, that that was a fascinating development. Yes, absolutely. What, 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 <laughs> what, what week, do you make of that? Well, the week before, you see, uh, Pilkanen was playing to the monitors, to the the cameras. Yeah. I mean, and yeah. and so when you mentioned the two football stadiums, I thought, you know, for the first time, it seems like they're actually performing beyond the room. For the, it used to be the auction room was the universe. There were people mm. dialing in on phones, and then they were sort yeah. of forced to mention or rec- recognize the cameras for people watching on the web. Now, for the first time, it almost feels like they've turned it around, and the show and and Sotheby's has a much better uh, uh, you know camera system now, and is panning the room. Mm. For the first time, it feels like they're producing. A an, a an event that's meant to be viewed remotely, and, o- and only a small portion of the audience is actually there and present, and the most uh, meaningful audience isn't necessarily in the room. And so you get the introductions, you get Phil Cannon having them bring the, the, the painting in front of the podium so the camera can see, see it be- better, and that, again, speaks to the global nature uh, people don't need to fly to London to participate. They can sit down in front of their computer. No, that, 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 yes, absolutely. I, the other thing that's uh, just building on that is um, I've, I've just been reading the um, Thorsten Veblen's famous uh, theory of the leisure class, which um, uh, it's not quite the, the anniversary, but of course it's the, the great analysis of um, conspicuous consumption in the Edwardian period. And of course now we're, we're getting statistics and reports to show that income quality now is just about at the same level as it was at the turn of the century. And uh, he uses a, a, a wonderful analysis in terms, he talks about ceremonial conspicuous consumption. And there was a ceremonial quality to that was uh, starting to be more and more prevalent at these auctions. So I, I, I thought, if you, if you want to analyze it in that way, um, keyed in keyed in very well. They're, they're becoming very ritualized and very theatrical, which, in a sense, the the show of conspicuous consumption requires to to sort of verify it. Um, it's quite odd. And the other thing is, is uh, 
you're in New York, uh, the catalogs have become remarkable. Um, they're basically, the dealers say, well, they're, 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 they're for the sellers, basically, to, to impress the, the sellers. They weigh over three kilograms now. Um, you know, only a sort of pretty muscular butler can lift them with any ease. They are incredibly heavy and thick. And Christie's was particularly fascinating. The cover had this origami arrangement so that it had essentially about five front covers. So when they were pitching for, for consignments, probably five sellers were told, well, you've got the front cover lot, which they all have in a way. But it's an incredibly <laughs> intricate arrangement. But the weight of them, it's, it's, uh, well, it was physically impossible for me to carry both catalogs. Uh, unless I had some I, kind of apparatus. I'm chuckling because the phrase muscular butler is so uh, perfect. One, at the, the changed nature of what one's domestic uh, servants would be like. You would no longer have a livery butler, but you would have a buff young man who could Be strong care enough of, to uh, carry Christie's catalogs. Exactly. But I, I but go, let's, going back to Veblen, yeah. uh, that, I think that's an excellent point. I mean, you know, uh, uh, so much of what Veblen was describing was that, was that you needed to show that you had lots of people, either in the intricate labor that Absolutely. went into the objects, or you had servants and people around to show how much money you had that you literally could keep people idle uh, in it, and of course, it's the status of waste that's the key thing, yep. isn't it? Veblen. And but of course, catalogs are examples. Carry on, I interrupt you. I beg your pardon. Right, no, but we don't live in that kind of era anymore where, where being able to command someone's labor is, is a sign of status. It, it's the reverse. We live in a technological era mm. where having uh, the command of technology is a sign of, uh, of status. And I think what's interesting about these sales is. And this is the overall what you hear dealers complain about at the market uh, as well, mm. uh, especially when you hear some of the old masters dealers complaining that they can't compete with the auction houses' global uh, reach. You can see one of the attractions to buying at auction now would be, even though it's anonymous, other people seeing the event. So you can share the intimacy. Hey, that was me. I'm the one who bought yeah, uh, that yeah. that we all saw, rather than the event being confined to. No, that's yes, that's a very good point. Yeah, and you, of course you could you could have the actual clip of you when the moment you bought this painting, and you can show it to your friends on your phone. Yes. I did want to say one other thing about the catalogs because I think there's two very interesting things going on. One, I agree with you. I think catalogs have become these very special arcane objects that are rarefied because no one uses them that way anymore. Yeah. So only the – one, they're incredibly expensive to produce, so that's more of your Veblen. But yeah. two, they just become a rare item because they don't give them out to anyone anymore. They're so expensive to, to, to produce. But part of what they've also been doing is adding so much – uh, uh, other material to make an art historical case for any given uh, work. And it's never clear who they're flattering, whether they're, they're flattering the, the consigner or they're trying to attract buyers by saying, look, this is an important work. Let us, let us show you how and why. But they are going to greater and greater lengths, yet the catalog itself is probably no longer a relevant way to to carry that kind of information. You know, people don't just don't sit down and read through these things. That in that and there is a problem there actually, but because they are so 
unwieldy, uh, uh, such unwieldy luxury object, objects um, that people just use the mini catalogs. And of course, there's so little information in those. And on the one hand, we are saying that the the the, uh, the market is becoming more informed and more intelligent. Um, but if all the information is in an object that very few people have and don't really look at, um, it's actually become slightly difficult for people to make informed choices. But of course, their advisors are combing through the catalogs, hopefully, so that, that, that's all right. But it, it, the, 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 what has happened to the catalogs just sort of, for me, crystallizes the sort of glossy absurdity uh, of, of the, the contemporary auction market uh, uh, as well. Uh, it, you know, it's fascinating and so on, but it, it, those catalogs have become ridiculous. I don't know how thick they are. They're going to be in the next round of uh, New York auctions. I, I, I can't. No, I, I, can't I think what's fascinating about this uh, market and has been now for a, a decade, but it actually seems to be coming to a point now, is the auction houses are an entry point. It is much easier for... Uh, a newly wealthy or a newly interested in art yeah. um, uh, uh, consumer, for lack of a better term, because yeah. they're most of them are not yet collectors, uh, to, to be honest, and that's not a put down. They're just, you know, they're, they're interested in art and they want to uh, buy it, and it's not a, a great strain for them to buy. But give it, and, and there's the capacity for bringing those people in is been one of the great strengths of the auction ha house because mm -hmm. you come in, you uh, meet someone, they're happy to spend the time with you, show you things, educate you. you. So it's not about the catalogs themselves are not where sales are made, right? They're, they're made in no, those private viewing rooms. They're made in the conversations with the specialists. They're, they're made in, in many other ways that aren't, you know, sitting down and reading through a, a catalog essay. Uh, and uh, that, again, is the strength of the auction house, is just the, the armies of specialists that they have. No, absolutely. And I think the, the, the success of these sales, um, you know, both weeks of sales, is, is testimony to the, the incredible um, skill and power of the auction houses as international marketing machines. Uh, they work incredibly hard, traveling all over the world, talking to people, putting on shows, and it really is bearing fruit. Um, you know, we, we, after the sales, they, they, they drum out these, these statistics on the, the, the number of bidders and the number of countries that they come from, and these numbers are getting very big indeed. Um, and the regional breakdowns of buyers are now much more even between the Americas, Europe, Asia, um, so the, the whole the whole landscape um, is changing, I think, of the, of the market, and and that again makes me feel that that the momentum really isn't going to slow anytime soon because these are these are new buyers coming in, and and it's a fairly addictive activity, you know, collecting art and going to auctions. So a lot of them are going to be hooked already. You know, uh, there, there's so much more to say, but I think that is the perfect yeah, place to, to end for today. Thank you so much, Scott, for taking the time. Lovely chatting to you. Thank you for listening to the Artelligence Podcast. Visit us at artmarketmonitor.com. 